I'm Denzel Muhammad, and this is JobMakers. How did Jamaica Plain, a neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, go from being one of the most crime-ridden and dangerous to one of the safest and most desired? Because immigrant entrepreneurs and others in the community said enough and did something about it. And this started with the youth. It is one of the many ways immigrant business owners give back to their new homeland. They create jobs, mentor, sponsor, and lead. For Dr. Selena Miranda, Executive Director of the Hyde Square Task Force in Jamaica Plains Latin Quarter, today one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Massachusetts, she knows keeping the kids at school, educated and firm in their cultural identity, and welcoming to others is crucial to maintaining the area's renewed stature. And she knows how much of their immigrant business owners, from countries as diverse as Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic, and Guatemala, are working to make this happen. This week, we look at how immigrant entrepreneurs contribute in another way, sustaining their neighborhoods and people economically, philanthropically, socially, and frankly, humanly. Dr. Miranda hopes the example of Jamaica Plains Latin Quarter and the role of its business owners would be replicated in communities across the U.S., to help overcome our heightened divisiveness, as you learn now on JobMakers. Dr. Selena Miranda, Executive Director of the Hyde Square Task Force in the Jamaica Plain neighborhood of Boston. Welcome to JobMakers. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. So you are the director of the Hyde Square Task Force in Jamaica Plain, which, you know, seeks to build up the community, essentially, from the youth all the way up. And one of your, your biggest accomplishments in, the re- in recent history has been to designate the area the Latin Quarter of Boston. Give us the story of the Latin Quarter. Sure. So the Latin Quarter, uh, well, we became known as the Latin Quarter back in 2016 uh, when Boston City Council actually voted unanimously to identify this particular segment or area in Jamaica Plain, in the neighborhood of Jamaica Plain, as Boston's Latin Quarter. Um, But the impetus really began uh, by our young people wanting to have an area that they've come to love over many, many years be recognized for uh, the Latinx contributions that have been made over decades. Um, And so that's where it started. And then in 2018, we became recognized as a Massachusetts cultural district. So we are uh, one of uh, 40 plus cultural districts in the state and recognized as the Latin Quarter. And uh, it really does allow us to uplift the contributions that the Latinx immigrant community has been making to this particular neighborhood, and really Boston overall, since uh, about the 1960s. Wow, since the 1960s. So delve into that a little bit with me. What has been the impact of immigrants in your quarter of Jamaica Plain? Sure. So, you know, since the 1960s, there have been waves of folks that have arrived here uh, from, you know, originally from uh, Cuba, Cuba, uh, the Puerto Rico, and uh, most recently the Dominican Republic. But we've also had groups and pockets of Central American and South American immigrants that have made this particular corner of Boston their home. 
Um, over the years, that has changed. And definitely right now, we have predominantly a Dominican uh, population that lives in this area. And this, uh, I think over time, over the decades that immigrants from, from you know, Latinx immigrants have been coming here, this has developed into a hub of Latinx culture. And what I mean by that, you can find you know, businesses here that are Latinx owned or run, and uh, you can sort of smell, you know, right, the smells of the Dominican Republic, you'll, you'll have them here. Uh, pastries from the Dominican Republic are here. Um, the music, et cetera. So really, it's a, it's a hub for Latinx culture and an opportunity uh, to affirm and continue to uplift, like I said, the contributions that uh, Latinx immigrants have made over, over many, many, many years. I have such good memories of having oxtail at uh, El Oriental de Cuba um, <laughs> and empanadas at this place across from the Doggy Daycare Tales. Um, so these immigrant businesses, what impact have they had over the over the past decades? You mentioned the first wave from Cuba, then Puerto Rico. And just to be clear, Puerto Ricans aren't immigrants. They are American citizens yeah. uh, and Dominicans. Um, they've really shaped the identity of the neighborhood. Talk a little bit about the immigrant businesses in the Latin Quarter. Yeah, so definitely, like I said, you know, they really have shaped the identity of the neighborhood and have created what we now call the Latin Quarter. I think without their contribution, we wouldn't have the vitality of the neighborhood that we do. And really, if I can take you back to um, the 19, 1990s, it, this actually, this corner of Jamaica Plain uh, was actually known as the um, the cocaine capital of New England. So there was a lot of drugs, uh, drug trafficking here, and then uh, violence in the neighborhood. And really it's the contributions, I think, of businesses and, and residents that came together that began to transform the neighborhood uh, into, uh, into what it is today. And so um, businesses have been here for Latinx uh, owned businesses or run businesses have been here for a very long time. And some of them, you know, very large ones, including El Mundo, uh, which was here, they were headquartered here until very recently. And we also had a Hilo grocery store that was here for many, 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 many years where folks would trek from all over Boston to come here and do their grocery shopping. Um, so they have been a presence here in the neighborhood for such a long time and added to the bustling feel of the neighborhood. And, um, you know, the footprint that we have and contributed to, to it being the district that it is today. I think of the entrepreneurial spirit of immigrants. Immigrants are twice as likely to start a business. Um, for many of them, you know, they, they may not have a choice but to get into their own business because their credentials don't transfer or what have you. And the legacy of entrepreneurship in Jamaica Plain, and particularly the uh, Latin Quarter, is really fascinating to me. Several years ago, at our Immigrant Entrepreneur Awards, we honored Damaris Pimentel, who runs Ultra Beauty Salon in Jamaica Plain, uh, stones from, from where I live on South Huntington Ave. Um, and her story of entrepreneurship began with her father, who moved here from the Dominican Republic and started Pimentel Market, which still exists today. And now she has her own gleaming, beautiful, bright business mm -hmm. and is fostering entrepreneurship in the young people uh, who work with her. Um, talk a little bit about the economic impact up until today, because we've really seen how uh, the businesses have flourished over time and become more elegant and, and more diverse, you know, a doggy daycare, for instance. <laughs> What's been the economic impact over the years? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, right now, actually, as of 2019, I believe approximately half of the 104 businesses along Center Street in the Latin Quarter are uh, Latinx owned and or and or managed, right? Um, so definitely, I think they have been a critical uh, component of the um, the financial vitality of this uh, corner of of Boston, but even and beyond, right? Because you know we have sort of, for instance, the barber shop owner just down the <laughs> down a couple of buildings from where we are, and um, this is where his business is. This is where he does his work, and mind you, he doesn't live here, and we can talk about why he can't afford to have a house here, um, but that might be another podcast. Um, but really, um, the reality is that they continue to contribute uh, to, to the energy and to the, um, to the financial stability of this particular area. And like you said, I think we have seen transformation. We have seen changes over the years that you have sort of a different, um, a much more uh, racially and ethnically diverse population that is uh, visiting, that are visiting those businesses, right? So, you know, the doggy daycare, it's not just for your Dominican dog owner, it's for anyone who has a dog and needs somebody to take care of their dog during the day. Um, So definitely that is the case. So they've been, you know, crucial, I think, not only for um, the well-being of those particular families, but also for others who are able to work at these businesses, et cetera. They're creating local jobs. Correct. At, at all levels for all people. And I think, you know, I go back to Tales, the doggy daycare that we're talking about. And I know that the owner, Jesse Felice, also from Dominican Republic, um, she hires uh, people who come out of prison in mm-hmm. order to get, for them to get a, start a stable life again. Um, mm-hmm. So they're creating opportunities for a wide variety of people. Um, and But it does beg the one question for a lot of Americans who wonder why immigrants tend to congregate with other immigrants from their home countries. I mean, this is something we've seen throughout U.S. history, you know, Chinatowns, Koreatowns. <laughs> now in La- in Lowell, you have a Cambodia town. Um, but explain to U.S. born people why immigrants move to places where the immigrants from their home countries already are. And yeah. does does that you know, from the uneducated mind, it might seem to inhibit integration. Research says no. Yeah, so, you know, obviously one argument is that when immigrants first enter into the country, they will go where others are because that's where they can find information, information on jobs, right? Where can I get a job? Housing, in terms of where's the best place for me to live, where can I afford to live, and other resources. So it's a source of information um, that is so key, right? That's where you can go and uh, find the information. And importantly, you can find the information in a language that you understand, that you recognize, which makes the transition into the country easier. For some, the enclave can be helpful but it will only get you so much, not because it's an ethnic enclave. I think I wanna make sure that that's clear. It's not because it's wrong to be with your group, but it's more because you have redundancy in networks. I think basic social capital theory tells you that you wanna have sort of diverse networks that can connect you to resources that you otherwise wouldn't have connections to, right? So, um, and there's been actually, you know, social uh, programs that have tried to do some work around this and making sure that you bring people together 
that have that don't have redundancy in those networks so that they can help one another and say, oh, by the way, you know, have you looked into that program over there that's offering scholarships for kids that are interested in X? And so therefore you go there, but you wouldn't know if you're talking just to the same people who know the same information, who have the same information you do. So I think from, from that perspective, I think, you know, definitely it's not just for immigrant groups. I think it's in, in more generally, right? We all benefit from having uh, diverse networks so that we can access uh, new information, new resources. America, many people in the U.S. don't know what it's like to move to another country. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the incredible cultural differences, uh, language barriers, laws and, and regulations. Uh, there are so many things that are different. And if you have the importance of social capital is so the bulk of your work at the Hyde Square Task Force is focused on the youth. Um, many of them, of course, immigrants as well. So when it comes to their education and well-being, what are you doing to ensure that they thrive? And, you know, why was there need for this task force to begin with? Yes, so we started um, 30 years ago, in part, you know, in part was in response to what I said um, in terms of the 1990s and the state of the neighborhood, right? We having, you know, at that time being called the cocaine capital of New England and also um, recognizing that it was a neighborhood that was not being heard by uh, elected officials, that was not being um, seen in the way that we wanted to be seen. So that's how we started. We started by a group of neighbors who were dissatisfied and wanted to make a difference. Very early on, however, we recognized that young people needed to be at the center of that transformation. So we have been focused on working with young people to create positive change in our community since the very beginning of our organization. And we continue to be very invested in that um, our strategies have changed over the years, and now you know we focus on Afro-Latin arts and culture as a vehicle by which we engage young people in the out-of-school time. However, as a youth development organization, a creative youth development organization, we are invested in making sure that our young people are successful in graduating high school and also begin planning for their future, and we help them with that transition. So we make sure that they stay on track to graduate high school begin planning for post-secondary education or training, whatever that may be. And then we also do uh, college coaching because most of the uh, students that we work with are first in their families to go to college. And so they need the added support, the added um, guidance so that they're able to navigate uh, higher ed institutions as successfully as possible so that they can uh, complete their studies. You're building up social responsibility, you're bringing up leadership qualities, uh, obviously academics and creativity. What has been the role of immigrant entrepreneurs specifically in this work? Well, you know, it, it, well, Damaris, you, you named her earlier. She was actually a board member uh, and was on our board for many, many, many years. So in that sense, right, it's giving back. She was giving back and, and serving as a role model for our young people. Um, so that's one very micro, you know, example of how how they have contributed. But now I think, you know, when you step back a bit, um, they continue to be so critical, again, as role models for our, for our young people, um, but also as a great resource. They continue to help us sort of do the cultural, uh, you know, arts and culture work that we're doing and that they partner with us all the time as we do our cultural events. I haven't talked about sort of that aspect of our work is that in addition to working directly with young people, 
We are also the managing partner of the cultural district of the Latin Quarter. And so through that work, we uh, have a series of annual events that we bring to the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, business owners are a big part of that. They're also uh, partners in our thinking as we continue to think of what the Latin Quarter can be and the resources that the Latin Quarter needs. They are key partners in creating that vision for the Latin Quarter. So this is their way of giving back, and they're giving back in in many different ways, not just creating jobs, but sponsoring events, being role models, um, fostering you know a, a more success minded spirit in young people. I think that's just absolutely terrific, and the the kind of uh, relationships that you've been able to foster over the years toward this end is just absolutely extraordinary. Uh, finally, I, you know, I did a lot of digging into the Latin Quarter because um, it's, I just, it's just fascinating. And one word that emerged a lot when talking about the Latin Quarter is coexistence. What example can the Latin Quarter experience offer other parts of the country, not just immigrant areas? Um, you know, the, the refugees and immigrants are settling in areas that were previously not settled by immigrants and refugees. How, what is the Latin Quarter experience regarding coexistence? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, I was reflecting a lot on this um, concept and thinking about the fact that, you know, carving out places or public spaces in particular where people uh, from varying backgrounds can come together in a safe way, I think is essential to strengthening the fabric of any city, but really the fabric of our country. Um, I think divisiveness is so um, has been so much sort of, I think, where we have been, you know, sort of the this uh, constant uh, pinning each other, uh, you know, against one another. And I think that doesn't bode well for anyone. And so I really do think that, you know, the opportunity to create spaces where um, it is safe to come together, it is safe to uh, coexist, to use the word. Um, these spaces need to be open and inclusive for all people. So when we think about the Latin Quarter, I hope that your listeners take away that the Latin Quarter is not just for the Dominican immigrant. It is not just for, you know, the Cuban immigrant. It really is about a space where we welcome and we want people to come and experience um, the, the Latin, you know, the Afro-Latin traditions and culture and sort of get to know it um, in a way that uh, is respectful, of course. You know, I always think about that, you know, it, it's important to, to, to give respect to groups Honestly, here in our neighborhood, the newcomer is your younger, uh, younger folks who are moving to the area who are not from many of them are not from Boston. They're coming from other parts of the country and most of them are not Latinx. And so, you know, really thinking about how do you create an, a, an opportunity for them to come and, and learn about the history of the neighborhood and, 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 and become part of the fabric of the neighborhood in many ways without taking away its its history, without erasing what it has been. And I think that is 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 important and I think it needs to, it should be replicated everywhere. Everywhere that we go, I think there should be a Latin quarter in my opinion, but that's just me. <laughs> a welcoming space for everyone to be able to participate and learn and thrive, right? Yes, you know, and like I said, respectfully of one another. Hair, hair. Uh, Dr. Salida Miranda, thank you so much for joining us on the Jobmakers podcast. We really appreciate your work with the Height Square Task Force and what you continue to do for Jamaica Plain and beyond. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for today's insightful conversation on how immigrant entrepreneurs are uplifting entire communities with their work in philanthropy. If you know an outstanding immigrant entrepreneur we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzel Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers.